in the quick revision of Hilchah Shmita, let's break the halachas into three categories, which Be'ez Hashem will try to address the practical halachic applications of tonight. The one is the halacha regarding the fruits or vegetables which grew in Shmita, what we can buy, what we can use, how we can use it, what we have to do with it. That's one mitzvah of Shmita. That even though we're coming to the end of the Shemitah year, we'll see there's still examples of that which will apply beyond Rosh Hashanah as well. There are also those mitzvahs which apply to the din of being mafki of the karaka, that uh, the halacha is that a person isn't allowed to own or prevent people coming to the land he owns in Shemitah, that's something which is hefka. The applications of that also we'll talk about a little bit. And lastly, there's a mitzvah of Shemitah's Ksafim which only applies, according to most opinions, at the end of the Shemitah year. The halacha is that if a person has an outstanding debt or a loan, so comes the end of the Shemitah year, he's no longer allowed to try and reclaim that money. So what do we do about that? So let's talk about the first category first. I think that's the most popular, the most common. And that is, what's the halacha regarding produce of Shemitah, whether it's fruit or it's vegetables? and the practical differences, which means what we're allowed to buy, how we're allowed to use it, and how we're meant to dispose of it. So, starting from the third restriction, the Pasuk says about Perishvis, the Hosea, Shabbos, the Oretz, Lachem, Lachla, that Shmita produce is meant to be eaten. And on that Chazal learn that it's meant to be eaten, and it's not meant to be wasted. And also it's meant to be eaten and it's not meant to be used as for business. So a person isn't allowed to stockpile shmita fruit and sell it as a profit. Similarly, a person can't allow shmita fruit or vegetables to go to waste. Rather, it's meant to be eaten. And that's according to some opinions even a mitzvah. If a person eats shmita fruit, then he's doing a mitzvah of eating, eating fruit or shmita. That's as far as the Torah goes. Rabbanon came along and added a certain gazera, which makes a big difference to us. And that is, since the halacha is that it's also to plant or to grow anything during Shemitah, Chazal were worried that there would be people who wouldn't be able to withstand the Nisayan, and they would grow things in Shemitah. Now, the main, uh, what happened is everyone can see plants, like vegetables, which are growing in Shemitah, so everyone would know these things were planted in Shemitah. But no, it's not so simple, because the farmer might say, yeah, the seeds fell on the ground and they grew by themselves. I wasn't actively involved in planting that. And therefore, Chazal made a restriction, what's called Svechin, which means anything which could grow by itself in Shemitah. And there's a chashash that people might have planted it. So Chazal said, as a way to stop people planting things in Shemitah, which is also, they forbade us using anything which was which somebody grew in Shemitah, or anything which grew by itself in Shemitah, but could have been something that somebody grew. Now, this only applies to things which grew in Shemitah, and therefore it only applies to most kinds of vegetables, because a vegetable is something which is, has to be replanted every year, and therefore is a, a concern that someone might have planted them during Shemitah. Whereas a fruit which grows in the tree, the tree remains from year to year, it doesn't have to be replanted, it's just a shadow of the fruit which get produced every year. And therefore, Chazal didn't make the gzera on fruit. And therefore, when you're talking about the halachas of Shemitah, 
we're going to see there's a very clear difference between fruit and vegetables. Because by vegetables, we have to take into consideration there's this added chumrah, this added din of Rabbanu, that one can't eat anything which might have been grown during Shemitah, and it doesn't apply to fruit. Okay, so that's the, the first basic introduction we need to know. Now, following on that, we're going to see that when we're talking about the dinim of Shviz, so we're going to see that there's three factors to take into consideration. It sounds a bit complicated, but let's try and simplify them into, into different blocks, which can make it hopefully easier to understand. The first category is, where did the fruit grow? Because Shviz only applies to something which grows in its rock. And how do we define Eretz Yisrael? The Gemara tells us we defined it by the borders of Eretz Yisrael in the time of the second base of Mikdash. That's when Chazal gave the rules, and based on what was then considered Eretz Yisrael, where the Jewish people were living, had the Dinim of Shvis. And therefore, when you're going to look at the borders of Eretz Yisrael today, they don't necessarily match up to the biblical or even the borders of Eretz Yisrael from the times of the Mishnah. And therefore, there could be places which are within today's borders of Israel, but weren't part of Eretz Israel, and therefore Shvi's is not part of And there could be other way around as well. The places which aren't in the borders of the state of Israel today, but nevertheless were considered part of Eretz Israel in the time of the second base of Migdash, and therefore the dinim of Shvi's would apply there. So the first question we have to ask ourselves is where did, where did it grow? Was it in Eretz Israel or out of Eretz Israel? Because if it's in Eretz Israel, then there would be all the restrictions of Shviz. If it's out of Eretz Israel, then it's like importing it from Chutlaras. Then the dinim of Shviz don't apply at all. The second thing we have to talk about is what, what species. Because like we saw, there'll be differences between fruits and vegetables, things which could have grown during Shviz or things which couldn't. There's also another distinction, and that is, where, at what stage do we say Shviz applies to something? In other words, it's not like everything began to grow after Rosh Hashanah. There's some things which are already growing. They've already been planted, they're already starting to grow. They'll continue to grow from this year into next year. So what's the cutoff point? At what stage do we say that anything which was before the state is released, after it's not? When we're talking about something which takes its time. For example, one goes and looks at Sadna at the fruit trees, and we'll see all the citrus fruit which are going to be on the market in the winter are already grown. So how do, we, how do we judge it? Do we judge it by when it began to grow? Do we judge it when it finished growing? What's the, what's the cutoff point of when something grew in order to be increased? And therefore, we said there are three things we have to take into consideration. Number one, where it grew. Number two, what, what are we talking about? The fruits and vegetable. And number three, when it grew. Okay, so let's look at the first one first. There's a big machlekes. There's a big discussion where the borders of Eretz Israel are. The... West and East borders are pretty straightforward. One is the Aden River, the other one is the sea. So that's pretty clear. But where the North and the South borders are, are not clear at all. It's not clear at all because we don't have the same places that the Commissioner mentions by name, and therefore we don't know exactly where the border reached. Because of this, there's a big argument between the present Poiskin, what's the southern border of Eretz Israel, and that's all which makes the biggest difference to us. Because the North border of Eretz Israel is somewhere in Lebanon and Syria, and we're not really importing produce from those places, so it doesn't really make such a practical difference to us. But where it does make a difference to us is what's practical to the southern border of Eretz Israel, because there are, there are farms and there are places which are growing various fruits and vegetables in the Negev at different stages, and therefore, depending on what stage we're talking about, 
is going to make a big difference. If it's a, still within what's called Eretz Yisrael, then it will have all the restrictions of Shavis. If it's further south than that, and therefore it's out of the borders of Eretz Yisrael, then it's exactly the same thing as importing it. Because Eretz will have no denim of Shavis at all. So the two primary opinions are there, more than two, but the two primary opinions, the one opinion is the opinion of, which is taken on here in Shalim by the Badatha, the Haredis, and they consider everywhere south of what's called Nachal Mitzrayim, what they call the, the, basically the bottom of the Dead Sea, to be Chutzlaritz. And therefore, any of the many settlements that there are in the Negev, what they, they, they will consider the fruits or the vegetables which come from those places to be Chutzlaritz, and if that's the case, they'll say it's mutter to use them. It's mutter to use them because there's no restrictions at all. It's not called Shvis. The Chaznish was much more machmed than that, based on the Rambam, and the Chaznish held that the southern border of Eretz Yisrael was much further south, and the sun was just about bit better, and therefore a lot of the places where they're growing uh, vegetables, for example, primarily, in hothouses and various farms and various mashavim, in the Negev, according to him, will still be part of Eretz Yisrael. And the difference is going to be, like we said, when it comes to vegetables, so there's the Gzeridur Abadon of Sichet, which means anything which could have grown during Shviz, and if a Jew is involved, it belongs to a Jew, it's also to eat. So this is the, the first big Mechlekes. According to the Badats, everywhere which is considered south of pretty much the bottom of the Dead Sea is considered Choslaritz, and they have it's, it's completely mutter, they have no restrictions at all. Whereas, if you, well, those are people are machmer according to the Chaznish, relationship to the Chaznish, is that anything which is in that area, not only is that is a Shvis, but it's also to eat. Because since Jews are the ones who are cultivating it in those areas, then it has a dinner sechim, which was cultivated by a Jew during Shvetsa, and therefore it's also to eat completely. The way that uh, you're going to see this in the store, is they break it into what's called Aravat Tzvonit and Aravat Ramit. Aravat Tzvonit, which is basically the north part of the Aravat, which is the southern area of Eretz Yisrael, is the area which is the Mechlekes. Aravat Ramit, what they call the south Aravat, is the area where everybody agrees is Chuslaret. And therefore, if, if there's one particular Chumrah, which is Kedai, out of all the things we're going to talk about, this is the one to be careful about. Because over here, it's not a question of how to deal with it, over here it's a question, is one allowed to eat it at all? If one holds that it's chutzlaret, then it's fine, it's allowed to eat it. If one holds Eretz Yisrael, then it falls into a restriction that it's also to eat. And therefore one should be careful of those things which are labeled Aravat Svanit, the North Aravat, because like we said, according to some opinions, that's something which is considered having been grown by Jews during Shvis, and it would be a problem of Sikh. Anything which is Aravat Ramit, however, the southern part of Aravat, everybody holds it okay. And then there'll be no restrictions at all. That's the same thing as buying something from Kotlaret. What is Bur-Paran? Paran is Arat Tzvonit. Arat Tzvonit? Arat Tzvonit, yeah. Okay, so that's, the, that's the, the first big argument, and it's what you'll see in the stores about the difference between them. Do, do, um, do the places that hold by Badat, where we see Kotlaret, and they're including Arat Tzvonit in? Normally the Badat is good about it. Normally they write Arat Tzvonit, because they know that not everybody holds of their kudus. So in most places, if, if it is from the Aratz they write that. If it's from Chutzlaret, that means from Chutzlaret. So that's okay. Okay, so that's the, that's the first question, and it's the first halacha which is practical to us. The second question is, what are we talking about? Are we talking about fruit, or are we talking about vegetables? And 
this is where it's very important to discuss this topic now, because there's a big difference between how we classify what's called shvis for fruit and how we classify what's called shvis for vegetables. And there's a reason for it. So let's explain. The way fruit works is that the tree produces one crop a year. If that's the case, the season for any given fruit is very clear. We know when the, the fruit, that year's crop begins to, to form on the trees, when it ripens, and eventually when it ends, and then there's no more of that, those fruit until the following year. So, for example, a lot of the summer fruits in Israel, more or less Nissan time is when they start to flower, when they start to blossom. That's why we make a bracha on the blossoming trees in Nissan. The, the fruit ripen now in the last two or three months of the summer, and uh, by after Sukkot, they're pretty much at the end of the season. And from locally grown plums or peaches or mangoes or whatever fruit it's going to be, you're not going to see them until next summer. So it's a very clearly defined season when it begins and when it ends. If that's the case, it's very easy to see what's the, shri- what's, what's the produce which, which was the Shemitah crop. Because we can see that the fruit which began to grow in Shemitah, these are the products of Shemitah. And therefore, the fruit which we have now from this year's crop are all Shemitah fruit. They grew during Shemitah. And even if they're going to still be on the market after Rosh Hashanah, and even more than that, even if they're still going to be on the trees after Rosh Hashanah, it doesn't make a difference. This is the year, this is the crop which grew during Shvis, and therefore these fruits are going to have the dinim, the halachas, and the restrictions of Perish Shvis even into next year. Which means, even those fruits which have begun to grow now and will only ripen in the middle of the winter, like some of the citrus fruits, the grapefruits, whatever it's going to be. Things like that are going to be Kaddish in six months' time because they grew now during Shemitah. However, last year's fruit, which only was picked this year, wasn't Kaddish because it goes by, when it comes to fruit, it goes by when the fruit begins to blossom. We call the Hanata when the fruit begins to fall. And therefore, even though the Shemitah year is drawing to a close, the dinim of the Shemitah fruit will be with us at least for another six or seven months. Okay, so that's the first. Whereas, when it comes to vegetables, as we know, there's no specific season for vegetables. Vegetables grow the whole time. You plant them, they'll grow. And therefore, for example, onions and carrots and tomatoes and cucumbers are available the whole year round. They don't have a season. And if that's the case, how are we going to decide when it's considered trees and when it's not considered trees? There isn't a, a very, there isn't a fixed season when we can say that they grow and therefore we can see which year they're part of. And when it comes to vegetables, therefore, what Chazal instituted was that it depends which means when the vegetables were picked. Now, most of Roshonim hold, what it means the vegetables were picked was literally when they were cut off the ground. Now we have that, so therefore, what's going to make a big difference is whether they picked before Rosh Hashanah or they picked after Rosh Hashanah. So, for example, if right now on the ground, the tomatoes of cucumbers which are growing, if somebody would pick them this year, it would be Shvis. They were picked during Shvis. If somebody would wait till after Rosh Hashanah and pick the same vegetable, it won't be Shvis because the dinim of Shvi is go, go after when it's picked. That's according to Master Chen. There are opinions who hold that it doesn't mean when it's actually picked, it means when it's ripened and ready to pick. And therefore we have to adjust that a little bit and say those vegetables which are fully ripened now and are ready to pick now would still have Kvisha Shvi's. Those which only begin to or only complete the process of being ripe after Rosh Hashanah wouldn't have the din of Shvi's. However, there's one thing which makes this a little bit more complicated. So this is some of what we said so far, and this will one more point to bear in mind. When it comes to fruit, it's more simple. Fruit go by when the fruit begins to ripen, 
and uh, that's going to determine if it, if it began to ripen during Shavuos or after Shavuos. When it comes to vegetables, since vegetables are growing the whole time, so we can't work up when it ripened. That's, uh, there's no set date for that, and no set period for that. And therefore, when it comes to vegetables, it goes either by when, it's, when it actually is picked or when it's ready to pick. But it only applies to the Torah's restriction of Shavis. In other words, something which was picked during Shavis is Kaddish Mokdash Shavis. Something which was picked after Shavis is not Kaddish Mokdash Shavis. Right? Let's remind ourselves. We said a few moments ago, Chazal made a Takona. And Takona was, Chazal was scared people are going to grow things during Shavis. And therefore they made a takana that anything which was planted during Shavis or could have been planted during Shavis is going to be also called Sechin. That doesn't make a difference when it's picked. That makes a difference when it grew. Because otherwise people would be growing vegetables now to pick up the Rosh which is also one can't grow things now, it's still Shavis. And therefore, even though technically it's true that vegetables which are picked this year right after Rosh Hashanah don't have a din of Shavis, don't have a din of Shavis, but there still would be a, an issue of Sechin. And therefore, for practical purposes, to use vegetables which were grown in Jewish farms, one's going to have to wait longer than that. One's going to have to wait until they could have been planted and finished growing after Rosh Hashanah. And if that's the case, there's no longer necessary because these are things which could have grown from after Rosh Hashanah. But, so therefore, when it comes to the basic distinction between fruits and vegetables, we understand. Fruits go by when, it's, when it begins to form on the trees. Vegetables go by as far as the Kedusha goes when it's, when it's picked. Where does that still make a difference to us? And this brings us to the last big point which we have to discuss. Again, like I said, three different sections. Let's remind us where it grew, when it grew, and in other words, before or after Rosh Hashanah. And the last point is, who grew it? Was it grown by Jews or was it grown by non-Jews? And this makes a big difference for two reasons. Firstly, there's no Gezerah Sikhin on things which grow by non-Jews. The Gezerah was, Chazal didn't want Jews to plant things during Shemitah. And therefore, any, any vegetables which grew on Jewish farms would be the Isra Sechen. But there's no avera for a non-Jew to grow things during Shemitah. doesn't apply to them. And therefore, the Gezerah of Sechen doesn't apply to things which were grown by non-Jews. If that's the case, the only question you're going to have is, is there might not be a Gezerah on vegetables or non-Jews, but the question is, is the Kedusha Shviz? Which means, that we're going to talk about after this, how one deals with Shemitah fruit, all the dinim of Kedusha, does that apply to things which were grown by non-Jews as well? Which is why you won't see, if you go to the stores, you'll see things which say Chosarets. Like we said, that's important. That's for sure, okay? You'll see things which say Ayravets, Choynes, or Dremes, depending where it's, when Ayravets it's, it's cultivated, like we spoke of beforehand. You'll see things which say Oetzer Bastin. Oetzer Bastin basically means Kedusha Shviz. It was a fruit which grew in Eretz Israel on Jewish property in Shemitah, and now they have to deal with it. I'm going to talk about next how you deal with Shemitah fruit. But you won't see any vegetables which say it's the best thing. It doesn't exist. Because any vegetable which grew on Jewish fruit, on Jewish ground, is going to be also. And therefore, there's no, it's the best thing only applies to fruit, or to those things which you say Adama on, but for whatever reason, they grow on a tree. They don't grow from the ground. Okay. But what you all find a lot in the stores is what it says, Nachmi. And the reason for that is, is because there's even vegetables, there's no Isser, Svitin, or Nachri. And therefore, whether it's going to be tomatoes, or peppers, or cucumbers, or any other vegetable it's going to be, there's no Svitin. So there's no Isser eating Nachri. But now there's a second question. And that is, is the Kedusha Shviis on things which are grown by a God? This isn't a new question. This question goes back 500 years. 
There's a machlokus between the Shulchan Aruch, the Beis Yosef, and the Mabit, who was one of the other Rabbanim of Tzvas at the time. What's the halacha of things grown by a goy? Which means it doesn't have to treat them with Kedushashvis. Again, it was allowed to eat them, but the question is, doesn't have to treat it with Kedushashvis. The Beis Yosef held one does not. The Yosef was Mekil, and he held that there's no dinim of Kedushashvis on something which was grown by a manja. The Mabit argues, the Mabit was Mahmur, and he says it's mutter to eat, but when it starts to treat it with Kedushashvis. Practically, the Minag Yerushalayim was always to be Mekil, and therefore to consider something which was grown by Goyim as having no restrictions of Shvis, and therefore one will be able to sell it, one will be able to eat it, one will be able to throw away the, the remainders of it, there will be no problem whatsoever. The Chaznish, as well, was Nachmer And therefore he held, not that one can't eat Nachri, one has to treat Nachri with Kedush Shvis. Okay, so that's, that's the first topic we wanted to talk about. Let's just sum up, we'll come over practically. And that is, we have five categories which could be labeled in the store. So let's talk about each one again, and what one does with them. Number one, Kotzlaritz. Things which are imported from Kotzlaritz are fine. I mean, there's no restrictions whatsoever. One can buy them, one can eat them, one can sell them, one can do what you want with them, throw them away, and not space. Primarily, what you're going to find from Kotzlaritz is those, well, I mean, we can find a lot of vegetables right now being imported from Kotzlaritz, mostly potatoes, because the whole time there's the importing potatoes from Kotzlaritz, there isn't a local crop here. A lot of, uh, that's, that's, that's always what we from Kotzlaritz. Also, one will find uh, vegetables which have a long shelf life, such as chatzilim uh, in this country, carrots, onions, which come from Kotzlaritz, for the same reason, they can store well and they shop well. But it's a bit more difficult. One could also find tomatoes and cucumbers from Kotzlaritz in some stores. Obviously, the vegetables which are either too difficult to transport or won't last long enough, such as lettuces, or watermelons, you're not going to find chutzlarets. There's no one, no one who's trying to import them. So the one category one can have is chutzlarets. Chutzlarets is fine. There's no shvi set up. The second question, we can, the second category you could have is it says araba. And now we said it makes a big difference. If it says araba dromit, it's the same thing as saying chutzlarets. It's fine. There are no restrictions at all. If it says araba tzfonit, so now we get into a big machlakis. Because according to Rabbadat, it's mutter to eat with no restrictions. They hold chutzlarets. According to a lot of other price scheme, it's also to eat. Not just that you has to treat it with pleasure, it's also to eat. It's also because it's a vegetable which grew in Jewish island ground and never has a dinner sechi. That's the first three. Then we have what's called Eitzar Beislin. Eitzar Beislin means fruit which grew on Jewish trees in Israel and it has, it's mutter to eat, it might even be a mitzvah to eat it, but it has all the restrictions of Shemitah fruit which we're going to learn about next. Then we have, that's our fourth category, and our last category is Nachri. And like we said, Nachri it's a machlekes. There are those who hold that nakri is the same as chutzlaret, which means it's mutter to eat and there are no restrictions. There are those who hold that nakri is the same as parish trees, which means it's mutter to eat them, but with the restrictions of kudosh trees. Okay, so that's, the, that's the, the, the various options that there are. The vegetables is only going to last for a few more weeks, because like we said, as soon as the vegetables are after Rosh Hashanah, so then there isn't going to be kudosh anymore. When you have them a few more weeks after, when the vegetables had enough time to grow, there won't be an Isra Sikhin either. The fruit are going to be with us for at least another six months because all the fruit which are still growing on the trees right now are still going to have Kedusha Shvis for that crop. Okay, so for those things which have Kedusha Shvis that we spoke about, what are the restrictions which we need to know? One has fruit, which you got from Eitzibastin, or one has vegetables or fruit, which say Nachri, and the person wants to be Machmir on them. What are the restrictions? when it comes to dealing with Schmitzer 
approaches. So let's break it into five categories. Again, it sounds like a lot, but we'll hopefully uh, put everything into its compartment. It'll be quite straightforward. Number one, like we said, the myth of the Torah is that Shemitah fruit is meant to be eaten and not, not done other things with it. Not wasted, not used for business, not uh, destroyed. And therefore, the first thing which comes, which, which is important by Shemitah fruit, things of perish these, is they're meant to be eaten. They're meant to be eaten means eaten in a normal way people eat them. And therefore, if a fruit is normally eaten raw, a person is meant to eat it raw. If a fruit is normally eaten cooked, a person is meant to eat it cooked. If a fruit is normally uh, ground and eaten, when not in its full state, but in its ground state, or its mashed state, a person is meant to eat it like that. But to eat a fruit in a way which is not its normal way of usage is not considered the right way to eat it, and I wouldn't be allowed to do it with parish feast. Now, this is a rule which doesn't have that many practical applications, because today most people will eat things in all the different ways possible, assuming that's something which is, which is uh, a way people eat the fruit. For example, uh, people eat raw peppers, people eat cooked peppers. People eat raw tomatoes, people eat cooked tomatoes. Same thing, people eat peppers whole, people can shred peppers and eat them in a salad. And a lot of vegetables, and a lot of fruit as well, they could be eaten in more than one way. And as long as it's a normal way which people use it, that's okay. It doesn't, one has only one option when it comes to an apple. The people eat cooked apples, the people eat raw apples, the people who grate the apples. And that's all acceptable because those are all normal things to do with the fruit or a vegetable. <clears throat> Where would the problem come? To use the fruit in a way which no one does. It's not a normal thing to do with it. So, for example, I'd say to eat a raw potato would be awesome because the, no one eats raw potatoes. And therefore, that's not the normal way to eat a potato. And therefore, one would, that wouldn't be considered a normal way of eating it when it comes to Schmidt. That's, that's, that's our, our, first, uh, our first rule, that the fruit of Schmidt is meant to be eaten in a normal way of eating it. What's also brought in this rule is that fruit which is normally eaten, one isn't meant to turn into a liquid and drink. Now, those fruits which are normally drunk, for example, oranges or apples, which are oranges and apple juice are common uses of the fruit, would be okay in Schmidt as well. But those fruits which aren't normally juiced and normally eats the fruit and doesn't drink it, so then changing its, <coughs> its form of eating from, from a cider to a liquid also wouldn't be the normal form of eating it, in which case that would be a problem. Okay, so that's the, the first thing. One has to eat it in a normal way. The second thing which applies, applies to Schmidt fruit, and that is the limit to waste. Now, not wasting it means that one can't take part of the fruit which is still edible and ruin it, discard it, throw it in the garbage, all these, whatever it's going to be. What are parts of the fruit which this halakha applies to? Any part of the fruit which is edible. In other words, if I have a part of the fruit which isn't edible, no one eats that, then this thing doesn't apply. That's not called food. We're only talking about parts of the fruit which are edible, then there's a thing one can't just destroy an edible part of the fruit. So, for example, if you're talking about bananas which are kudoshishis, so then the peel of the banana can be discarded. People do not eat banana peels. Whereas if a person who has an apple of Kedusha's and he wants to peel the apple, he has to, the, he can't discard the peels because people do eat apple peels. That's something which is edible. And if that's the case, you know, one can't throw those things away. They have Kedusha's Similarly, and this is something which you have to remember as well, when it comes to something like a mango. So even though people don't eat the mango peel, but it's impossible to peel the mango without some of the fruit remaining on the inside. And if that's the case, there is an edible part to the fruit which you, which you can't throw away, you can't discard it. 
But when it comes to things like seeds, which people don't eat of most fruit, so then one doesn't have to keep the seeds as Klishish feast, no one eats the seed, and then the seed can be discarded. Okay, so that's the that's, that's our second halacha, and that is one parts of the fruit which are edible, or fruit themselves which are edible, one can't discard. Now, the important point here is, even if a person themselves is a very picky eater, and if it's already a little bit overripe, or not exactly the right way they want it, they're not going to eat it, that doesn't mean that it's now spoiled. There are people who would eat it like that. And if that's the case, it still has Klisha Shvis. It still has Klisha Shvis until it gets to the stage where no one's going to eat it. So, therefore, the halach is number one, a person shouldn't intentionally bring Shvis to being ruined. In other words, a person shouldn't stockpile a quantity of Shvi's fruit, which is more than they're going to be able to use, and they know for sure it's going to go to waste. So a person isn't meant to, uh, let's say, cut half an apple and eat it and let the other half go bad for nothing if it's edible Shvi's fruit. But if for whatever reason the Shvi's fruit does start to spoil, or like we said before, one has the peels, which has the, uh, the, the small amount of Shvi's fruit which a person can't, can't take out of it, in cases like that, one has to wait until they're no longer considered edible before one can discard them. So, what's the person meant to do with that? So, what was always brought near to Israel at the Eitzah was to make a special Schmitzer bin, which people left all the Schmitzer leftovers in until such time as they had spoiled completely, in which case they could be thrown out. But for three reasons, that's not so popular anymore. Number one, that's not so practical. You have to have a second bin and leave things there for a long time. Number two, even halakhically, it's not such a good option. Because if some things in the bin have already started to go bad, then by throwing other fruits or remains into them, it's, it's throwing them into a place which that's going to it's going to make them bad much faster. And a lot of people don't have space for a second bin in their kitchens. And therefore, what's uh, brought down with a post scheme is a much easier today and a more efficient way of dealing with Schmitzer leftovers is to put them into a plastic bag, a small like sandwich bag or a small plastic bag, and seal the bag. I'm not throwing away, I'm just leaving it in the sealed bag so that insects can't get in whatever it is, in a closed plastic environment, given what they would do, it's going to spoil. But I didn't, I didn't throw it away. I left it on the side until it, it, it landed up spoiling, in which case I don't have any more reason to keep it. Um, okay, so that's, that's with regard to things which have delicious shvies, and the leftovers or the peels or the shells, which are still possibly edible, uh, of of these things. Like we said, they primarily oppress the fruit, or if a person wants to be machri, that to treat them with kushashvis, which means to look after the residue in such a way that it's not going to get spoiled. Okay, that, yeah? How do you categorize spoiling? Is one spot of mold considered spoiled, or does the whole thing have to be ground? Uh, the whole thing. In other words, no one's going to eat it anymore. If it's something which if one person can cut off the fiber of spoiled and salvage the rest, then that's the letter. No. Yeah, but it's still enough fruit that a person wanted to they could try and chew it, like uh, bite it off, whatever it would be. But we're talking about negligible amounts, and this is very practical when it comes to ever washing the dishes. Because if a person has, let's say, served a dish which has shoes, vegetables in it, and there's a residue on people's plates, there's uh, one or two beans or a few peas, whatever it's going to be, what do you do with bits like that? So the person can say, in cases like that, when a person's cleaning up a negligible amount, one doesn't have to specially try and say it. But if it's, like we said, part of a fruit or something that which, which has a more significant amount of shavis fruit on it, the person has to be careful. There's also this nagaya when it comes to 
So if you pour in the seeds or the, pips, the pips of the fruits aren't edible, and if that's the case, one can throw them away. But there are those pips which aren't smooth, and some of the fruit always gets stuck to them. So normally, if it, like for example, an apple core, how much does a person have to eat around the core that there's no fruit left, they just seeds? So normally the person can say, when it gets to the stage where no one's going to eat it anymore, that's, then it's not that's considered negligible, a person can throw that away. Yeah, the person said a little bit left on the plate. Was, was like, yeah. And even if it's children, like, it would be more than a tiny bit. No, that's the issue. If children leave, they don't decide they don't like cabbage salads, they leave the whole portion, and no one else is going to eat it because it's on the kid's plate, that's something which is not so negligible and has to be kept. Okay, that's what, that's the third thing, what one can do with small amounts of fish shvis. There's two muhalachas. There's two muhalachas. The one halacha is the halacha of chutz tarets. Is an issue to take parish fees to Chutzlaretz. Uh, it's meant to be eaten back in Eretz Israel, and therefore one's not allowed to send fees, fruit parcels or packages, or whatever it's going to be, to Chutzlaretz. When I give this shir always to people in Chutzlaretz, I say, You think that fees doesn't apply to you because you're living in the States, you're living in Europe, you should know there's a, very, there's a certain issue involved. And that is, if you see fruit which is imported from Eretz Israel, it's also tzibah. It's also tzibah. One can't eat fees, fruit, and Chutzlaretz. And therefore, it, it could be that all the grade A export quality fruits in Israel get shipped to Chutzlaret, one has to be careful because if it's Shvi's fruit, it's not just one has to deal with the Shvi's, so it's not meant to be eating the Chutzlaret. Okay, so that's... What does that do with the drogi? How do they stay in the This is a big question about the Esrogi. Is a person allowed to, to take an Esrogi from Israel to Chutzlaret? It's a big question. A lot of places can be matirut in order to the mitzvah because one's not eating the Esrogi. He's just taking the Chutzlaret. But they hold after sukkahs, you have to bring it back again. So even if he's taking it out, he's not eating it there. He's using it there, and he has to bring it back in again. Right. And that's the second point to be aware of. And Esrog has Kedusha Shviz. That's the fruit which grew this year. Bring Shviz, still have Kedusha Shviz. Okay, well, no one must be on eating Esrog anyway, but it means you can't discard it after sukkahs. Because it's a fruit which is technically edible, it has Kedusha Shviz, so I can't destroy it. It has to keep it until it's no longer edible. Similarly, if people like to make Esrog into the Samim holders, so it's a shayla, you can't do it this year. Because it's meant to be eaten, it's not meant to be used for other things. And what about the jam? If it, that's fine. People often make a swing, that's a normal usage of it, and they make it to jam, but you have to watch the jam. You can't ruin it, you can't spoil it, like throw it out either one. It has to be just Okay, that's a fourth halacha. And now the fourth halacha, and this is what I left for last, because this is a bit complicated. And that is that fruits have a din of what's called shasabir. And let's explain what this means, because this is actually a terror restriction. And that is, the Torah gives us a time limit how long we can eat Shvi's fruit for. How long we can eat Shvi's fruit for. And we learn from a Pasuk that one can eat Shvi's fruit as long as it's still excellent in this field. As long as there's still the same uh, craft, the same fruit on the trees, one can take it off the trees and bring it to the house and eat it. But the Torah didn't want people to stockpile Shvi's. And therefore they said they can only eat Shvi's as long as the Shvi's is still on the trees. But when there's no longer shvis outside on the trees, and one's not allowed to keep stores of shvis in his house. And therefore, when it gets to the stage where this crop has ended, then one has to take whatever of that, of that species he has in his house and be it. How do you mevire it? So the Rambam learns it's like Birochomet, one has to destroy it. We don't pass like the Rambam, we pass from a person to be Mach And this is something which a person has to bear in mind, because even though it's true that the the few fresh fruit that a person has a shviz don't last that long, so it's unlikely that you're going to have a lot of them when it comes to shasta beer. But what this does make a difference 
is things like olive oil. Because you, one can get shvi's olive oil. Olives grow in Shemitah, on all the trees, and the Kaddish Mikdash Shvi's, because they grow in, in Eretz Israel, on Jewish island trees, where they do so many olives. Olives are meant to be squeezed. That's what always, every year, we do olives, you squeeze them. Well, not allowed to destroy Shemitah fruit for nothing. So what do they do with olives? They squeeze them into oil. Now, they can't sell them, like we said before, that the Easter one can't sell Perish Shvi's. So what they do is they, they charge for the work that went into making the olives into olive oil and the bottling, and they sell greatly reduced, uh, much cheaper olive oil, which is called Shvi's Shvi's. They have to do that because you can't destroy it. It's a Shvi's crop. Same when it comes to the grapes. They have a grape harvest in Eretz Israel. They make caramel, for example, a lot of wineries. In Eretz Israel, they, they, they have vineyard. Well, you can't destroy the, the shmita fruit. So what do they do with the grapes every year? They make it into grape juice. They make it into wine. They're going to do the same thing during shmita. And they're allowed to do that. That's the normal usage for these fruits. Grapes are made into wine. So they're going to make the grapes into wine or into grape juice. And again, it'll be much cheaper because you can't charge for it. They just charge for the work of the workers who are busy picking the grapes or for the bottle that they put it into. And you'll get high, like vastly reduced wines and grape juice, which are Kaddish Bukhtash and now, what do you do with things like that? And that's, I'm just giving two examples. There are many more examples. Canned fruits and dried fruits and all these things, which that's the normal way they do it. That's the normal way they treat these fruits. They're going to do the same as meat. You're allowed to use fruit the normal way. But it has Kosher Shvi's. And therefore, the dates for next year, for example, or the raisins which come from Eretz Yisrael, or the peaches that are in Eretz Yisrael, but like some of the other fruits or the vegetables, which are like pickles, which are made locally. These things go to Kosher Shvi's. They'll, obviously, they'll tell you that. They'll write on the packaging. It'll be also much cheaper because of that. But what do you do with it? Because it gets to the stage, let's say, towards like, what is the winter, that the grape harvest is finished. So there are no longer grapes in the trees. So what happens with the grape juice that you have that has Kishishvis? So the halacha is, when the Shasa beer comes, one has to be mafkir, anything of that species that they have in their house. Now, what makes this a little bit complicated is because it's not a, once, a one-time year for everything. Each tree works separately. Each species works separately. And therefore, at the beginning of the after circus, you'll, every basin will publish a list of the dates for each for each uh, species when the Shasta beer going to be. So they, right now, they can already assume it because it works more or less the same every year, but to know the exact dates or when the harvest finishes, they'll publish. And then we'll have to keep the rest of that because if that's a person does have species produce in their house, then they have to know before the Shasta beer, that we must give it. Because if a person misses the date, then it might be also to eat. Oh, so we're going to talk about that. So that's one last important thing. If a person has things which have fish shvis in their house, they have to make sure to know when the shasa beer for that species is going to be, so that they can be mafkir before it. So if the shasa beer has passed, and then there's stuff still left in the store, could you buy the stuff in the store? Uh, if the store is a good hapshah, then we hope that they take care of it. That they already were Yeah, we hope that they take care of it. So normally the Oitzah Basin deals with it. And whoever the Basin deals with it will deal with this too. And there also is an opinion that the Basin doesn't need to be mafkir because it doesn't belong to anybody. It's a public uh, entity. But uh, whatever the case is, what we have in our houses, we have to be careful about. Now, what does one do? How does one mafkir it? So the best way to mafkir it would be to t- pick whatever, the t- whatever it is, pick it up, put it outside on the sidewalk, tell three people this is Hefka, and once I told them it, I can, just like anybody can take it, I can take it too. It's uh, a yeah, No, it has to be three Jews. Um, so it's, uh, we, we, everyone has to do it at the same time. So we can all, all the neighbors will meet together, each one will mafia their bottle of oil, 
and no, we can, we can take each other, we can take her own. It doesn't make a difference anymore. Once we're mafkirts, and I say free for to take, I chose to take it. I can take back what my thing was. But the important point is not to forget the shas of you, because like we said, if a person forgets them about something, then it might be a problem. So that, that applies to the, it's, it's going to apply this year, starting from after circus, species by species. As things stop being available, there'll be the shas of you for each one. And that's it, you just mafkirat. You mafkirat, and like I said, you could take it back. No, it doesn't make a difference in one person mafkirat, they've done their obligation. And then you can use it regularly? Like parish visa again. In other words, it has to look at the same condition, but then one can use it like before. But why, why is that? The general din of what one can do with parish visa. Now I'm going to give four or five interesting examples of practical applications of, like we said, things which a person is not allowed to use shviz things for, because the rule we said was that a person can only use shviz for eating or for drinking maybe, not for other things. So number one, uh, is a person allowed to use shviz wine for avdala? Because the minute by avdala is that a person makes a cup of a flow, and then what's going to happen to the wine when shavu flows? So if a person is going to be makbid afterwards to wherever the wine front the plate to pour it back in the cup and drink it also, that's okay. If a person's going to let that wine go to waste, one can't use Shvi's wine, because then he's, he's actively destroying something which is Shvi's meant to be drunk. One example. Another example. When it comes to the Rasayda, and a person is Shvi's wine, so there also, the people who have the minute to take wine out of the cup for the 10 makas, whatever it is, which no one drinks that, if that's the case, then you shouldn't use Shvi's wine for the Rasayda, because of the same problem. Some of you, you actively taking some and ruining it, which is not going to get used. Um, similarly, when it comes to Shvi's uh, oil, Shvi's olive oil, it's brought in the price scheme, one's not allowed to use it for Hanukkah candles. Because yes. You cannot use the Hanukkah candles, because since you're not allowed to get Hanukkah from the Hanukkah candles, so then you're not using it to, for, uh, for some need. And that's the case, it would be awesome. But other things which, uh, for example, Shabbos candles would be mutter. And the difference is that a person is meant to enjoy the Shabbos candles, is meant to give them the light. And therefore, I'm getting a benefit from it, which olive oil is meant for. Whereas Hanukkah candles, I'm not allowed to enjoy them, so then there will be a problem because then I'm not, I'm not, I'm not use, using Shabbos for something that I enjoy. Other uses for, for things like oil, a person wants to make some kind of art, arts and craft projects and in oil, whatever it's going to be, things like that would be also as well. It's meant to be eaten, or at least to be lit. But not to use for other things, therefore, to, to, to use other things with Shvi's oil or Shvi's product would be a problem. Um, that's, that's something which, now, one last point, and on this note, then we'll go on to the next topic. Again, that's just a word of warning. And that is because we've seen that Shvi's doesn't just apply to fresh fruit and vegetables, products which are however they're processed, but are using Shvi's uh, you know, ingredients, they're going to be Shvi's too. It means that in the year, or even the two years following Shvi's, a person should be very careful when he checks the shari, of all things. Because, again, the, the, the various shariim are on top of this. They know about the problem. But a person should be on the lookout for it, because even products, which normally wouldn't be an issue if they're using uh, in, in any other year, if they're using whatever raw ingredients it is, which of fruit and vegetables would be okay, but when it comes to shvies, if they're using shvies, then the question is where do they get it from? Is it from Israel? Is it from Arab Israel? Is it Jewish owned? Is it Goyish owned? 
or something called Hetzim Mechira, which means that the Jews kill or salt the land, but most boys can hold it doesn't help anything. And therefore, the regular products could be lose their hechshah for the next year or two because they're using things which weren't, they weren't allowed to use or have a deal of, of Israel Shavis. I just want to give four examples of that, which is, but there are more as well. The first one is canned or, t- or frozen vegetables. And it's something to be aware of because some of these vegetables grow in Eretz Israel, and then if they grow in Eretz Israel, there's Israel Svechin. Now, some of them were going to be sold fresh, so not in, obviously in, in, in the, any store with the Hechshah, but there are also some which are going to make them into factories. And if that's the case, if a factory is making uh, 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 frozen vegetables or canned vegetables using Israel vegetables, they're going to be also too. And if one can't assume that any, any you know, tin of frozen or, or tin of peas or corn or frozen peas or corn is metal or anything like that, if these things are going to Israel, they could be also. That's the Czech Hechshah. The second place, which is very Nagaya, is spices. And there's a lot of spices in Israel, and they're made from fresh vegetables. For example, paprika. We wouldn't think of it like that, but paprika comes from peppers. And the peppers are grown in Israel, the whole trade is local, and one has to check. Because it's, if, it's, if they're using things which were grown in Shviz, then it's going to be Osir as well. It doesn't make a difference that it's been processed into a powder, the mass is going to be Osir. And therefore, on, on a lot of the... In, a lot of that kind of ing- uh, processed food, one has to check Echsharim because it could be that it's not good. Especially those companies which have two different runs. There's some companies which have different productions, like different, uh, so to speak, uh, conveyor belts in the production line, and they will give one action, the other one not. And uh, it's very confusing because we have exactly the same label and exactly the same product, but one has a action, one doesn't have a action. And specifically now, it's something which people don't know always to look for Hechsharim on. It's very important to check which Hechsharim it has because it could have a Hechsharim, it could have not a Hechsharim, depending which line it was produced by. The best example is Carmel Grape Juice or Wine. Carmel is a very big factory. It has one line which is Badat, it has one line which is not Badat. And when it comes to Carmel Grape Juice, so the line which is Badat is fine. The line which is not Badat is at the Mechir. And if that's the case, we can't buy it or can't drink it. We have to check the levels. That's one example. The other example where this comes up is by that, that, that the one is by wine. The other one is by um, by things like pickles and olives, which again they're using products produced in Israel. It's made locally. If that's the case, we have to check the levels for the same reason. Last point on this on this topic, and that is when it comes to fruit juices. Fruit juices, a lot of them is coming from fruit which are come from Israel, whether it's a pregat or it's a, the, the, the makes which are made locally. And then again, we have to check the Because here also there could be a shadow of, even if the fruit is shvis, but if they weren't kept with all the halachas of Kedusha shvis, then there might be a problem using it. And therefore, when it comes to all these things, we have to be careful, not just for the next right now, but for the next year, to check the Echsharim, because that's when the Shvi's product will be available and could be misused. On cans or spices, is that in phrase also the whole are allowed to leave? Like I've never seen that on a can. Uh, normally what they write is Yudnun. They'll give you the, the, the symbol of the Echsharis and a little Yudnun next to it, which means Yuvul Nachri. Yuvul Nachri. isn't that practical because most of the things they grow in Aravatsunit are fresh vegetables. That's the problem. That's one has to make sure that it's a good action. But even if it's a good action, what's in a store on the side of the house? So the, they should be taking care of this. 
I'm not, I don't work with the I don't know what they do or any other cashers, but it's something they know about, they should be taken care of. Svechen is after the plants could have grown in that. There's no Svechen in Apri, and there's no Kedushashvili, it's something which was picked after Shoshan. So, yes, yeah, so the fresh vegetables which were picked after Shoshan, there won't be any problem uh, in Nakhri. But if they were picked in Shvili and they are used in whatever product it's going to be, then there would still be the same question. Which are Nakhri? So the fetus is okay, there will be no restrictions. No restrictions. Right. Unless we, uh, that's a few days after Shoshana because there's the opinion that they're completely wrapped right. before and they would already be. Right. Yes, right. Yes. Um, some products lose the Hersha. Some Hersha are altogether less reliable because they don't do a good job of checking for Shemitah. But that's why I said the good Hersha. Uh, if they're going to be, ma- if they're going to give it a hechsher, they're going to take care of it. Check it. Well, oh, I would say that's the other end. The, the good hechsher I know about are uh, the Reuben, Landa from Bnei Brak, Israel. Uh, those are the good hechsher. I think Rafati's hechsher which was also quite reliable. Those are the ones which uh, they, they they know about shvi's, they take care of shvi's, they they're meant to be doing a good job. Hechsher besides that, I don't know of any which are as machne, so I can't talk about. Okay, the last one I want to talk about just three or four minutes is that we spoke about, again, the dinim of the fruit, vegetable shemis. What about flowers? First of all, about flowers. What's in those flowers and shemis? So the halacha is flowers which have a, a aroma, a good smell, also have kudusha shemis. If they have kudusha shemis, then all the same dinim apply. In other words, either they have to come from chutzlaret or they have to be uh, from a guy, in which case they have kudusha shemis. Since flowers have to be replanted every year, ones which grow as flowers from the ground, so there'll be a form of sechin. But if it's a flower which grows on a rose bush, for example, and isn't replanted everywhere, it grows on a tree, so that's the case, they'll have kdusha shvis. When it comes to but there'll be a dinner of kdusha shvis. What does that mean? You don't eat a flower. What it means is you can't dispose of the flowers until they go back. They have kdusha shvis as flowers, and therefore as long as they're still as flowers, one has to look after them. It's only when they get to the stage where they're not used, that they've shriveled up and no one will use them as a flower anymore, everyone can throw them away. Now, we said there's not a din of shvis also, and that is the din of not uh, doing any avoid on the ground. That's only practical for the next few weeks because this applies from Rosh Hashanah to Rosh Hashanah, but let's just talk on one or two examples. When it comes to shvis, obviously, I was not allowed to do any gardening, I was not allowed to water the ground, I was not allowed to uh, mow the lawn, anything like that which improves the ground or makes the ground more right to plant is all also. Until Rosh Hashanah, it applies from Rosh Hashanah until Rosh Hashanah. And the last halacha I want to talk about is the halacha of Shemitah's Ksafim, which means comes the end of Shemitah. So then the halacha is any outstanding debt that a person has, so he's no longer allowed to claim it. Now, what's the kind of debt that a person could have? So there could be that. It could be somebody asked to borrow some money for a taxi or whatever it's going to be, and they still owe the 20 shekel or the 15 shekel. It could be the neighbor borrowed a bag of milk or a, a container of sugar, and they owe it back. It's also a debt. Anything which, is the, uh, which a person owes, then in a case like that, is going to be a debt. Similarly, if a person provides services and a client hasn't paid yet, so if it's in the normal amount of time that uh, person, people come back and pay, so then, okay, it's understood. They're going to come back the next day or the next week, whenever it is. But if it's already some time, and this is now like an, an out, unpaid uh, obligation, that also becomes a debt. And therefore comes the end of Shemitah, all that kind of uh, chiyobim 
forget, a person can no longer claim them. That doesn't mean it's not the right thing on the part of the lawyer, on the part of the borrower, to give it back. The din of the Torah is that the malva, the lender, isn't allowed to claim it. But the Gemara says that it's still the right thing to do for the person who knows he owes somebody something to offer it back, if the person wants to take it. What can one do to prevent that? A person does have people that owe him money, or whatever it might be, or other things, and he wants to make sure he doesn't lose it. So what does the person do to make sure that he can still claim his debts back? There's one of four options. Option number one, this is the mission's option, is to get some kind of collateral for the debt. Because if I have a mashkan, if I have something I'm holding on to for the debt, so then I've already started to reclaim some of it in the form of what I've already taken. And if that's the case, it's not just the debt which is going to get cancelled at the end of the lease. Today, that's not so popular to ask for some kind of collateral for a debt. And therefore, our second option is to write a prosbul. To write a prosbul, which is a document saying that I'm entrusting the, the, the ability to reclaim this debt to based in. And therefore, the Torah is says, I can't reclaim my debt, so I won't. I'll give it to best. And the best will take care of it. I'm giving them a document that I'm authorizing them to do that. And that's what's normally done. On Erev Rosh Hashanah, everybody, after Torah Sadarim, early in the morning, the next thing they're going to do is the Erev Rosh Hashanah, everyone writes a prosbul, and then that will work in order to cover all debts that a person might have. However, that's good for men to go to Shul and Torah Sadarim, and will be reminded by someone in the Shul to write the prosbul too. Uh, for ladies, they're not necessarily Rosh Hashanah, it's an important thing to bear in mind. Now, if a man that you have a shared account, it doesn't make a difference. It's a shared account, so once the man is writing a prosbul, it will cover his wife as well. But if a lady has her own business, which works with its own account, or she has her own money, which she lent out, or something like that, then it won't necessarily be covered by her husband's prosbul, in which case the lady should know to write a prosbul as well. It's not a very complicated procedure, it's just filling in a form, which is saying a person is giving the right of connection to her basic. If that also isn't enough for some reason, so then the third option is what we brought in the voice is that the halacha is Shvi's only will end a debt which is already due. If I lend somebody money to be repaid in five years' time, so even if the Shvi's will come and go, it won't make any difference because the, due, the debt isn't due yet. And therefore, if there isn't a debt right now, so then the, the Shvi's can't undo that debt. It's only a debt which is owable, which a person is meant to pay, and he hasn't paid, the Shvi's will undo. And therefore, without that, they brought that if a person for whatever reason doesn't have recourse to writing a principle, which is the better option, what they can do is they can allow the, an extension of the terms of all debts that they have, they don't want that they're giving the loan another year to repay. Do they have to let the borrowers know? No, it's a good question. They can say they don't have to They can decide, and somebody know, a few people will be witnesses, that they're, they're giving an extension to all their debts for another year, and if that's the case, Shvish won't undo the debt because that's not yet you. Now, in the case like that, one can't claim the money right off the bat after Rosh Hashanah because he's given them an extension. But this will work if the debt still exists. And therefore, when it will be due, he'll be able to claim later. What does claim mean? Like, can you, like, remind? Without doing any of this thing, you wouldn't be allowed to tell the person, by the way, do you remember your army money? Because he doesn't. But if a person would do any of these three things, then you then would be able to you would be able to remind the person, by, by the way, I wrote the principal, or I gave my debt to Bestin, or whatever the case might be, in which case, you still owe me the money. Now, that's what most people do. Just one last point, and that is, on the other hand, there is a mitzvah in the Torah of letting, let, letting Shviz cancel the debt. And therefore, what a lot of people do, and it's a once-in-seven-year mitzvah, is Erev Rosh Hashanah, after they've written their principal, they'll lend somebody a shekel. 
Badafka that they intend not to refer the debt. They keep in the midst of the Torah, they come shpiz, they canceling the debt. So it's not going to be a significant amount of money. But uh, whatever amount it is, at least they, 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 they have something which they can be kind of in the midst of canceling debt on, or like foregoing the debt, because that was something which was uh, which someone owed them, and they decided that the shvi's canceled the debt. If one wants to do that, one has to remember that, like we said, shvi's only works on the debt which is due right now. And therefore, if I lend somebody money, normally the law is that 30 days to pay me back. So if I give a person money in Arab Shoshana and don't stipulate anything more than that, they can pay me until Arab Shoshana. So Shavis won't touch that debt because it's not due anyway. And therefore, if I, if I wanted to do this, I would have to give somebody money and tell me tell them that you owe this back to me this afternoon. Because then the debt's already due now. And if that's the case, now that the debt due, and I let the Shavis cancel the debt, so I can be kind of in the midst of Shemitah's Ksafim.